Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts. I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix any of the devices that help me to spend my time there. But I've been invited to a party. It's called a restart party. And this party might just help me to understand the technology that I use every day and all the time. A Restart Party is a pop-up community repair event where skilled volunteers help people diagnose and repair their broken electronics. They are organised by the Restart Project, who are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. So let's go now to a Restart Party. It's a bit off now. <laughs> Faraz has got a drone. You bought it, right? Um, it's I I bought one, and my one actually broke. And this this actually I fixed. Today's episode is about drones, about the emergence of drones as toys, gadgets, and tools for people, not just for governments and companies about the DIY communities that helped this to happen and about the impact of affordable drones as consumer products. Kobe Lushek is the head of Rocketship Systems Incorporated. His brainchild is Boxbotics, a platform which makes it easier for anyone to design, build and maintain their own bots using open source designs and 3D printing. Projects like Boxbotics are posted on Wevolver, an online community where people share files and knowledge around engineering projects like robots, 3D printing and drones. We talked to Kobe via a slightly rough Skype connection about the world of DIY drones and how that world is changing. Rocketship Systems does uh, small custom robots, typically less than 20 pounds. We have what we consider a reference design which is called Boxbotics, open source modular, 3D printable, all the great buzzwords that you hear nowadays. We start with customer discovery and work backwards. That's kind of our niche. The modularity of Boxbotics allows us to do simple modifications pretty quickly. And because we're 3D printing and using additive manufacturing, we're doing most of the most of the manufacturing house with the exception of stuff like extruded carbon fiber shapes and fasteners, things like that. But everything else gets made here. We put it together test it and ship it out to the client. And uh, then if they need it, we provide training and support services. We open sourced all of our design files. We host them on Weevolver. For us, philosophically, open source matches with where we want to take the company with the open robot ecosystem. And pragmatically, it's extremely expensive to try to protect intellectual property. And honestly, what we did with Box Products, we think is novel, but it really built on a lot of people's other work that it's relatively easy to make a basic drone or robot we've just tightly integrated and packaged things so uh, it's water dustproof a little bit easier to deal with on the user end it's also designed for manufacturing from start to finish with the processes we use so everything's been designed and tested uh, sometimes several times to get us the, the quality of print that we want our business model is not necessarily about selling hardware it's about uh, working with the customer to develop hardware they want rather than uh, try to sell them what they think we think they need 
So what are the motivating factors for who chooses to become a customer of Kobe's Box Botics? Who builds everything from scratch and who goes out and buys a drone ready to fly? It probably comes down to motivation, time, access to equipment, and of course, how much money the person has to spend. I think you have to assume if somebody's coming at a project and trying to use open source and 3D printers and build and develop something on their own, they really have a passion for it. It's obviously some extra work to be able to start from scratch and, and build something you can call your own. Even if you are working from our open source files, it's still a considerable amount of work to be able to source the parts, tune the printers, make sure you're you're getting the print quality you want, uh, build it, test it, tune it, all the steps required from start to finish. It ends up being quite a bit of work. So I think you have to be really invested. And it comes back to the old open source saying, I think, would be free as in speech, not necessarily free as in beer. So there's still a time investment required. So I think anybody who comes at it in the first place and has an inclination to build their own is going to be more apt to keep it longer, fix it, tweak it, modify it, hack on it. I think the typical person doing that in a makerspace or if they're fortunate enough to have the equipment at home or can resource it nearby, I think they're going to be more apps. The challenge today is you can go to just about any well-stocked electronics store, Walmart, major department store, flea market, garage sales. You can find a drone for less than $100. So unless you're really invested and interested in making something yourself, it's honestly, it's it's quicker and cheaper to go out and buy something off the shelf and uh, some people enjoy the build and like knowing that it's their own some people just want to go out and fly and have fun and when i started in the diy community quite a few years ago you really had to build your own if you wanted to fly one and just as you mentioned many places where you can go out and, and get something for around 50 bucks that'll fly just fine so i think it has had an impact on the diy community for the folks who just want to put something together and have it fly on the same day you're not going to do, do that with a DIY drone, even if you have a kit. There's a bit of time and effort involved. So I think it's definitely had a negative impact on the DIY community. You know, on the other hand, maybe it gets people into it that may have been hesitant to try it as a pure DIY project. And maybe they come back to the DIY community after they get a taste of something off the shelf. So I think in the long term, it's going to be hard to tell. Short term, there's definitely, I, I get the sense there's more people buying ready-to-fly kits that are commodities and may not even have availability of spare parts. Typical, most consumer electronics, they're, they're made to be cheap and throwaway. We wanted to see if these consumer drones really do work and get an idea of how easy it is to fix them. And that's why we invited Faraz, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, to bring his drone along to one of our restart parties. Faraz is one of our restart volunteers, and as well as getting him to show me how his drone worked, I also asked him about his experience with buying, modifying and flying mini drones. A friend of mine had a slightly different version of a quadcopter, which he hacked and took the motors out. He needed the motors for, for another project that he had and gave me the the control board and the, sh- the chassis of, of the drone. Because my one was broken, I just took the motors from my one and uh, soldered them in very carefully. It's really hard because the, the pads on it are tiny. Imagine how small this quadcopter is, yeah. the pads for the for the actual motors are and I do and I did a wrong one uh, I, the first time I put it in I put it wrong because there's there's two types of motors there's there's clockwise and anti-clockwise type motors and you have to put them in the right place and 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 all that and also the the props as well they there's, there's there's two types they look very similar but they turn in 
two different ways. So Right, and did you also do some 3D printing to help you to put it together? Well, Is that right? I didn't need to do 3D printing, but I thought, because I'm not very good at flying it, I could use... Um, my 3D printer to to make crash protectors, these like uh, <laughs> prop- propeller guards. Except the propeller guards broke uh, on the way here. Oh, no. <laughs> My flying technique is so bad that it actually broke the propeller guards, and and uh, so I so I just took all of them off off again. I can print them again later with uh, a little bit stronger. Hopefully, it will. To describe it, so it's got four propellers. Yep. Uh, it's kind of a cross shape, like a, a an X, and it's kind of like got a little basket underneath. But it's it is small. It's it's way smaller than yeah. the palm of your hand. This one's got a camera on it, which is pretty neat. You can you can uh, use a button on the controller to um, to take a picture or take a video, start a video off. It, it doesn't have any sound. It wouldn't it wouldn't record the sound, but you you you'll get some quite nice footage of it flying around and thing if if you can fly it properly. Yeah. Right. So we, we're gonna we're gonna give it a go flying it. To see how how that's how it sounds, so I've just switched it on, and then it makes some beeps. Uh, pull it, pulling the 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 left stick up and down sort of connects the controller to the quadcopter. And then you can just slowly lift it. And be able to... oh. Right, so it flew at me at the mic, and then it fell on the floor, which is why the O happened. Yeah, it's, it, this one's a little bit temperamental. Sometimes it it is. Got a bit too much oomph on the wrong motors, but hopefully I, f- I can get it to fly up. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Uh, so it kind of like it flew, it hovered, it went up and down, and then it suddenly just like crashed onto the table and, and kind of dived off the, off the side. Right, and the, the problem is if it falls on its uh, head, then it falls on its propellers and then it, can't, it yeah. can't fly, so it has to fall on the right side like a piece of toast. Yeah, you often have to, have to go and have a look at the propellers and sort of bend them so that they, they align themselves a little bit better. And often that, that can help with it flying. It is a very tricky thing to fly. It's like right. you, need, you need to give it a lot of practice before you, you get any good at it. Right. Uh, and I, I haven't done enough practice on it. Why did you buy it then, I guess? Like, why did you buy it rather than build your own from scratch? This one, I was surprised how, how cheap it was. My one I bought early last year, and it was like £13 off like, websites you can get things cheap from China and stuff like that. I mean, you've, you've modified that. But I mean, I guess the, the worry from a restart position is that like, if they're hard to fix, then it's going to be a lot of people buying drones and then those drones don't get used and then those drones go in landfill or whatever, like that sort of thing. I mean, do you think that we're, they'll, they'll be used sustainably? I know I've, I've been having a little bit of problems with this one. Like sometimes it's, it misbehaves. But um, I guess they'll be different from from drone to drone actually like they you can get really like quite expensive highly polished ones now that can automatically recognize your face and just like hover around you and you know do do all these amazing things because the software on the on the drones are a lot more complex than these smaller ones right so they can like kind of follow you around like a kind of pet yeah 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 like there's there's yeah a lot of follow me drones sort of available in the market now and a, a lot of them are are still a bit silly like they they don't they don't have great view all the way around them and they crash into trees when they're trying to follow you but there are some that some that are that are quite well protected at, at the same time 
and are purposely designed for for that sort of camera footage where they're following a person around that's like something that slightly scares me but also excites me like I, I like the idea of being followed around but i also don't like the idea of being followed around by someone else's cameras i guess i'm not a celebrity so i don't have to worry about it <laughs> at this moment I mean, it's it's a it's a brave new world, isn't it? I mean, it, do you feel like I feel quite uncomfortable about drones? Uh, I have to say, full full disclosure. I mean, what do you think? I mean, how do you feel about them? Are you like, do you just see them as? I mean, they're, they're tech, so they're neutral. I agree. Like all tech is neutral. It's how we use it. But the way that we could use drones kind of scares me. Yeah, I, I think like both halves of the the technology developing the drones and also the technology skeptical about the drones and the security behind it are growing at roughly the same rate. Anyway, they, you 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 find loads of contraptions now that that could take down a drone, and they're even training like birds, like falcons and and um, eagles, to take down drones that that are not supposed to be flying in in particular airspaces. And they've got like different guns that jam the signal, or like other quadcopters that come by with with nets and then grab the grab quadcopters so so there are a lot of lot of ways to to stop illegal for lack of a better word use of drones and i don't think there's there's anything really to to worry about actually like it's 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 gonna it's gonna grow but it's it's not gonna it's not gonna outgrow the you know the security aspect of things right yeah and it sounds like it's kind of like a, a kind of tech arms race. Like, I guess it's like the same as the internet. People hack in, but people build in security. And those two things kind of go around the same. That makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, it's great. Uh, and I mean, I, I, as much as it scares me a little bit, I also like, yeah, I want to go at that. For Faraz, the interest in drones comes from the joy of tinkering and flying them. Whereas I was more concerned about the implications for privacy and security that drones throw up. But drones aren't just used for following people around or carrying out military operations. So we talked to Ivan Gayton about how drones can be a really valuable resource when dealing with humanitarian and social issues. Well, my name is Ivan Gayton. I worked for about 12 years for Doctors Without Borders, MedSense South Concierge, MSF. The last two years of my career were mainly as kind of a bridge between the humanitarian and technology worlds. One of the things I was interested in was mapping, particularly epidemiological mapping, trying to recreate what you know Dr. John Snow did in London during the cholera epidemic in 1854 by mapping patients and figuring out where there was a problem and actually blocking off a, a contaminated water pump. And, and to get there, actually, one of the things that we need is aerial imagery. So I actually wound up playing with drones, not at all because I'm a little boy who loves playing with toys, not at all, it's absolutely purely because it was uh, uh, for you know humanitarian interest. But the, the, the drone technology that I played with was very much based on this open source tradition, which has come out of the, out of the technology world and is now kind of extending itself into the world of physical things, into the world of hardware. And it's an incredibly powerful concept, which has put the kind of technology that is, uh, you know, finally beginning to realize the dreams of the 1950s science fiction, where we were promised flying cars, and what we got was 140-character tweets. My own work with drones has, has been not focused specifically on trying to reduce waste, but actually trying to improve access. In other words, I want, I want to design for a drone such that it's not only Western NGOs and companies that can afford to get aerial imagery, but ordinary citizens in Africa and, and Asia. In other words, 
let's democratize access to this incredibly powerful technology. The rich and powerful and the militaries of the world already have their eye in the sky. Why shouldn't citizens? So obviously the open source software makes that possible. The easiest way to get a drone, quite honestly, is to buy one from, you know, pre-made from a company. One of the best drone companies, mind you, is 3D Robotics, which is founded by an ex-editor of Wired, and they specifically use open source software in their drone control, and they contribute back to it in a big way. So so there's people contributing to these commonses. So the software is open. My personal sort of interest was to use the most accessible possible materials, reduced to an absolute minimum what you have to get by mail order. So you have to get some electronics by mail order. Certainly you can use a repurposed cell phone that has a lot of the sensors that you need for a drone. And there are people that have written software to use you know, the chassis of, of a cell phone to to be the, the brain or control center of a drone. There are other people using things that are based on the guts of a, a Nintendo Wii remote. And there are little Arduino-type based chips that you can use as well. My drones tend to be made of insulation foam, recycled insulation foam, bamboo sticks, and 3D printed parts. And for that matter, while we're on the subject of open things, the 3D printer that I have is a Mendel, a RepRap Mendel, which is an open design shared and developed by volunteers that I assembled myself and runs on purely open source software. So I, I, you know, I, I don't have to pay anybody for software. And more importantly to me, I could afford to pay for it. If I give that recipe to anyone anywhere, there was a group in Ghana, in Agboblashi, who actually built a drone based on my design with local materials. We sent them a little package of stuff that I'd gotten, you know, mail order from China, a few motors and a few little chips, but the bulk of the materials they were able to produce themselves and come up with themselves from, and actually that was purely recycled materials. In this episode, there's been a lot of talk about open source. Much of the DIY drone community flourishes and depends on the availability of open source software and hardware. But what does open source mean? Through collaboration and sharing, a community of enthusiasts creates downloadable design files for drone components. It's not just that these files are free to use. Open source is really about the way that anyone interested can access, modify, improve and redistribute those files. Similarly, the software to control drones is constantly adapted and improved, keeping it open and accessible. Meanwhile... The size of the consumer market for drones has grown significantly in recent years and projections for growth seem to indicate room for even more. One growth estimate that people often cite is that drone use will grow 30% by 2024 and people often make comparisons with the early smartphone market. But is all of that being exaggerated? Here's Kobe again. I think we're approaching the peak with news of parrots starting to lay off people, which is which is unfortunate. I, I think that's just part of the cycle. People racing to fill a market, and now the market's starting to stabilize. I believe DJI will continue to be a big player. I think you'll see other players just like you do in, in other electronics markets. And things will start to smooth out a little bit. I still believe there'll be a spot for folks like us, small niche markets, delivering custom solutions. Because that's really what's missing with, with the mass-produced items. I'm very encouraged to see the maker movement and people picking up and starting to, to make things with their hands. That's something that I think we've lost over the last few generations, and I'm, I'm very happy to see that coming back. If you look at a broader scope, if we start 
to re-engage with the educational system and we bring back things like shop class and make a maker culture a part of the the K through 12 education system like it used to be when when I went through high school I still had shop class I think that would help as well if people can really value building things themselves maintaining things themselves so we get back to that I think you'll see more of a call for not just drones but more items that are repairable instead of trashable if you will I'm sitting in a small town that used to have a steel mill, which no longer does. My grandfather was a millwright. My father worked there for over 30 years. That doesn't exist in this town anymore. The support services, the other businesses that grew up around the steel mill aren't here. We still have small machine shops and, and things like that, but nowhere near what we did when I was a kid growing up. So, you know, there's, there's cause and effects to everything, I guess. We've transitioned supposedly to a knowledge economy. I'm not sure that's that's all benefit for everybody. So hopefully we can find the balance. Perhaps it's a cycle just like we see with consumer electronics. We'll get a little bit more balance with people coming back to realizing that being a little bit more self-sufficient and be able to fix things is a benefit. I'm just not sure. Again, I think it comes back to whether or not we instill that in the younger generation as they're going through school. If we don't value things like STEM education, and shop class, I think that's going to be a hard sell. I've spent over a dozen years in sub-Saharan Africa, mostly in, you know, conflict zones. And one of the things you notice right away is that you'll have trucks, you know, still operating on the roads that date from the 1950s and 60s. People who really want to can actually keep things rolling for many more decades than we in the West would. So the whole idea of planned obsolescence and throwing something out when it's no longer shiny and new is insane in a low-income context. So you already have that culture of, of use things until they're, until they're properly used up. Something that would be, a, would be a junker ready for the scrapyard here in the high-income world would be, a, would be a really valuable resource in Africa. There's no shortage of native intelligence. There's just a sort of access to resources and knowledge. Knowledge gap were closing. Things like the Khan Academy, open knowledge, things like Wikipedia, things like GitHub. There's going to be a whole new generation of African kids who not only know how to play with technology, but who know how to apply it to real world problems. One of the nice things about drones is you can touch them. They're a real thing in the real world, which I think really helps to ground the kind of theoretical and abstract learning that we take for granted when there's a direct application for it. Ah, if I understand the way this software works and the way the physics of this machine works, then I can actually do this thing in the real world. I think we're going to see, you know, if we if we get past the various disasters that threaten to cut us all short, we're going to see a real renaissance of young people in Africa having a far greater participation in, in the life of the mind of the world. <laughs> Back in the day, the first drones, everyone made them. They were like a very much a tinkerer's, maker's kind of thing. But now there's kind of, they're in, we're in mass-produced time when everyone's buying them, but they don't really know how to, how to use them. You're somewhere in the middle because you, you've part made it and you've part bought it. And also you are someone who can mend it if it breaks and, and get in there and tinker with it. So you're kind of in, the, in between those two different positions, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Like I, I've, got, I've got a little bit of knowledge where, where I can actually go in and, and do a bit of soldering, do a bit of uh, electronics. But I think uh, the real diehard uh, 
hackers and tinkerers they they'll be changing or all, all sorts of things like the chassis and the programming inside and you know how how the the controller works with it and various other things I, the the professional ones that are using like this competitions now in it with the quadcopters they they will be all handmade they will be rather than you couldn't you couldn't buy one and have it perform to the best if you didn't have to uh do any work with it would you buy another one are you going to buy more i'm not sure my brother's got a slightly bigger one and he doesn't use that much so i might borrow his one for a bit to get used to a slightly to to the bigger sort of one the big ones like there's very little places that you can actually fly them you can you can maybe get away with flying them in parks but you can't really fly them um many places uh, like the, the small the small ones are quite good because they're in, indoor you can just like uh play around with them until i get better at flying them i think i'll have to wait in buying a new one drones aren't just toys they have practical applications as well and as with all tech as i mentioned earlier on they are neutral in the end it's all about how we look at the resources that we have around us and that are available to us, and how we use those resources. We can keep them to ourselves, and we can use them unsustainably, or we can use them as sustainably as possible and share them with each other. Certainly, some of the ways that drones are used are very questionable, and you could easily say that the growth of drones as devices that individuals purchase is about commercialization and it doesn't look like it's going to be very sustainable at all. But also within all of this is a different approach, a way of using technology to help us to get out of the problems that we currently face. Open source community can be a very strong alternative to the commercialization of drones. And I guess the question is going forwards, can cheap commercial drones serve as a gateway to more DIY tech? What new ideas, new ways of using technology will come from people modifying and tinkering and changing drones? And as drone growth increases, will that mean a greater investment in higher quality drones and in repairs? And would that investment itself help to stimulate the repair economy and to teach young people how to make things and repair things again. I'm excited and still a little bit terrified to find out where drones will take us. Restart Radio is both a podcast and a weekly show that goes out at 1.30 on Tuesdays on Resonance 104.4 FM, repeated on Thursdays at 11.30 AM. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.com. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to our new intern, Lauren Colley, who's done some amazing work on this episode and who is a big step herself in helping to make the Restart Project podcast a much more sustainable process. Today's restart party is over, so it's time to pack up the equipment 
and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.